Hello lovelies and welcome to the Illuminaire podcast. My name is Jess, the host of the show, and I am so excited for you to join me on this adventure. On the Illuminaire podcast, we shine a light on topics that try to keep us in darkness. We discuss tough topics that most will shy away from, but we are not afraid to face our fears. We talk about everyday life and how we can nurture ourselves to grow and blossom. We talk about people's stories and how their struggles can help others. We battle the stigmas with love and sincerity and we overcome. We are a community. We are light bearers. We are a revival. The Illuminaire Podcast. Living life in the light. Hello lovelies and welcome to the Illuminaire podcast. My name is Jess, I am your host and today I have a very special guest who has accomplished so many great things in her life so far. She is a life coach, a creative entrepreneur and most of all she is a friend. So without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everybody. Um, Thanks for having me Jess. Um, My name is Cassandra Kariba. I am a female and I am excited to be here and I'm not very good at the introducing myself part because I'm like I don't also like to introduce myself based on the things that I do achieve but I just like to say that I'm a friend I'm a sister I'm I'm a friend I'm a sister I'm a girlfriend and yeah I'm me I'm Sandra Karima I, th- I think you'll, I think I'll get to know me a little bit more when I talk about what I've yeah. done but yeah that's me yeah very, definitely very simple <laughs> <laughs> and Kaz do you have any fun facts about yourself that you can share with us let me think fun facts I yeah actually I have this weird phobia of cotton wool I know it's very strange <laughs> um and it's it is a strange fact but I don't know I just really hate the way it feels and I hate the way like it, it just gives me this weird shivers like the hairs of the back of my like arm is like standing up I don't know why but that's a fun fact I suppose (laughs) the first thing that came to my mind I'm gonna think about this later and think oh god I shouldn't have said that (laughs) um (laughs) yeah that's the first thing that came I was like what is weird about me in this (laughs) Um, I did ask for a fun fact but if you want to go a weird one we'll take it yeah I think that's, that's a fun fact a fun weird fact yeah that sums up my personality in a whole I'm very um... (laughs) definitely does (laughs) (laughs) okay guys just to pre-warn you myself and Cass are friends so the giggles will be had quite a lot through this episode I'm sure so bear with us as we get going so Cass to get started then and into the meaty part of the podcast First question for you, being black and Irish, what does that mean to you? It's my heritage and it means that I can't change that. It's part of who I am. I am originally from Rwanda and I moved here when I was quite young and I've been in Ireland for over 20 years. Uh, You can hear it in my accent probably. And I think part of being black and Irish is not just saying that I'm Irish because I've been here for 20 years, but very much raised in the Irish society and culture. I went to school, I went to primary, secondary school and university here. And I have 
such banter you wouldn't believe it for <laughs> as you know yourself so I don't know I'm like it's really it's a I was actually looking through this and every time I'm asked this I'm always thinking about what does make me Irish because it's never a question of you're black explain that in a sense in a sense because it's very evident but I think mm. because of the fact that I am black I think that a lot of people ask me which is a very valid question like what is the meaning of being black and Irish to you it, it would almost be like first of all it it, it, it always kind of gets me a little bit nervous because I'm like am I trying to justify the fact that I'm Irish and I'm trying to mm. prove that I'm Irish or is that something that's just a given based on my experience the environment that I've grown up and the things that I watch so I actually want to ask you, what makes somebody Irish? Honestly, I don't know what makes somebody Irish. I suppose if you look at it in a technical term where people are born in a certain country, that that makes them who they are. But as you're saying and as you're talking there, like you've been raised in Ireland, so you know the society, you know the culture. And not to say that you don't know the Rwandan society or culture either, but you're probably like the Irish culture is probably coming quicker to you in your day to day. So I wouldn't. And like these questions are purely just to put information out there and to discuss your story and get your story out there. It wouldn't be a question that I'd specifically be looking for every black person, let's say, to answer. Oh, well what makes you black and Irish being Irish there's there's so much involved in it in being something yeah but I think I think what you said like you nailed it on the head there by saying that you were raised in the Irish society and culture in my opinion and I actually really like that that I do like that question because I think like it's a it's a question that at the start it's not the first time I've been asked it obviously but it's a question that I like to talk about and that what do you actually I for me when I ask a question and obviously wanting to know the person's answer I I I find it really difficult I've always kind of find that one a little bit difficult because it's almost like the introduce yourself part it's like I a lot of people could be like, oh, my name is, you know, if I was to go by it, like my name is Sandra Karima, I work in tech, I work for Facebook, I'm an executive assistant, I, I'm an entrepreneur, I have my own business, but that's not who I am. That's just the things that I, yeah. you know, that's the things that I do. Mm-hmm. And I would say really, I am a friend and I am a sister because those are things that I, like, I, I am you know, like they will never be taken yeah. away. They can't be taken, like I can lose my job tomorrow, my business could fail. And those things are the things that I do. But I think that things that you can't choose are things that like your heritage, this color of your skin, your what you believe, your beliefs are things that are very hard to kind of describe or in mm-hmm. a sense, because it's almost like, am I saying the right thing or am I not saying the right thing? But either way, yeah for me I'm very proud to be black and Irish I'm very proud to be Irish and I'm very proud to be black and they go hand in hand for me because it it's it's the experience that I've had and it's the life that I've lived and I think at the start I used to be a little bit nervous even saying that I'm Irish because it's the status quo of like oh I'm where are you from Limerick oh yeah but where are you really from 
and then you have to be like oh well like I was bored you know you have to ex- always have to explain yourself in a sense which I'm really trying to kind of steer away from is having to explain my 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 reasoning for why I d- identify as Irish and that there is mm. no right or wrong answer for that either but and to sum it all up in a pretty bow is that I'm proud to be Irish and I'm very proud to be black and that's two things that I wouldn't change regardless of yeah anything yeah yeah and I suppose I kind of wanted to ask you that question because I knew you wouldn't be afraid to answer it in a way that's true to you and also because of everything that has been going on in Ireland just recently about being black and Irish so thank you so much for being honest with that question and for really just digging into it there what then was it like Cass growing up in Ireland as a person of colour I honestly as a child and I, I this is something I've been really reflecting on in the last couple of months because I think the topic of black and Irish has been so evident just very much a topic that we which I'm really happy to talk about because I think these conversations really need to be had and they need to be open as well and just honest and raw growing up in Ireland I never felt and this is my experience not to say that it's different some people might have had a different experience but I grew up in a very loved community like I grew up in an estate I grew up in Limerick and where I grew up like I knew all most of my neighbors I knew the old lady across the street that I used to help put in her bin through the driveway when she needed it and I knew everyone around me people knew my family I felt accepted I felt loved and I felt appreciated with the people that I that were around me at the time growing up Growing up and going to school, I was always the only person of color in every every single situation you can imagine in primary <laughs> school, in secondary school, in my first job. Even now, as an adult, I'm still the only person of color in a lot of situations, but I loved it. And I was talking about this with a few of my colleagues the other day about all the things that you kind of miss. Like, I don't know if you ever, you remember this, but like in Limerick, we had this, you see like an ice cream truck, but they sold like jellies and sweets and stuff. And they were like 20p. And the guy, I think it was like a, what was it called? A barman or not barman. It was like a sweet man or something like that. And everyone could really identify to that and just remembering those little things or you know doing your goshka medal I don't know did you ever do your goshka medal it was like this thing where you had to do like a hike and community service and you got like a bronze and gold medal we did it for school so I I, I never really saw myself as a minority or an outsider to the community that I grew up in particularly and I had a great time it's only when I got into my teenage years a little bit older that I was faced with a, like bullying and racism and things like that, that I was like, okay, maybe, you know what, I'm not going to deny that I am different to the people around me, but now people were mm. act- also acting like I was someone different where I like growing up, no one around me made me ever feel like that, you know? And that's like, it's brilliant that you didn't feel like a minority growing up, but it's, it's always difficult, like going into the teenagers and then becoming an adult and then all of a sudden as you're getting older you're faced with the bullying that must have been a lot tougher yeah it was but I I had a really good solid foundation in my mom I always heard things from my mom before I heard them from others and not like my mom would very much tell me as I think I was like eight or nine and she had a chat with me and she was like you know like as a woman you're gonna face difficulties 
because you're the minority between a male and a female. But in society, you're also going to have difficulties because you're in a minority because of the color of your skin. And I was like, what does that even mean? And that she was like, people are going to have a presumption of who you are before you get to present the person that you'll be or you are. Like she was like, you're a sweet, intelligent young lady, but some people will see you as an absolute monster. Or they will never want to talk to you. And as a child, I was like, it's kind of like, obviously I think she said it in, in, a, in a lot nicer way as a mother, but I'm just telling you <laughs> the top of my head. Yeah. It's not something that even now, like when I want to, when I have, children it's a conversation that I'm gonna have to have with them because they're gonna be black or half black you know so it's yeah. a difficult conversation to have with your child but I think it's so important that the first time I heard all of these things I already knew it and it came from someone who loved me whereas yeah that made the journey so much better for me looking back because I didn't have to, the the, the shock of someone who didn't know me say these things to me but when they did I would always kind of know that you know what like your perception of me has really nothing to do with me it has more to do with you your upbringing your background and the things that you've been informed about people like me so it, when someone was when people would be rude to me and call me the n-word or you know, like, I can't even think about any, like, there's a lot of things that I was called, but I, it, the words mm -hmm. never actually hurt me to the core. They were very, like, sometimes it did hurt. You felt the shame and embarrassment, but it was never a shame that made me ashamed of who I was. It was a shame because I was embarrassed of the situation that I was put in, but I never felt it to the core of who I am. I never felt that I was the N-word or I never felt that I was you know, whatever name that was associated to my color or my culture of or my community, it was very much surface mm -hmm. level. And that's kind of why I feel like it has that, that foundation has helped me have like a solid foundation of resilience when it comes to racism. Fair, fair play to your mom for having that conversation with you, because that is I. I can't personally imagine having to have that conversation with my children, obviously because I'm white and I don't have black skin. And it saddens me that those conversations need to be had with your children. Yeah. It's it's absolutely mind-blowing, to be honest with you. For me, for someone like me, like who doesn't see a difference, it's absolutely mind-blowing. It is a really sad thing, but I think... I had this conversation recently as well where I was talking to a group about inclusion and diversity and I said that if you happen to have said anything that was racial discrimination or you discriminated against another culture, whether it be religious or whether any type of discrimination against another person, that's discrimination. You're discriminated against them. What racism is, is so much more than discrimination. It's a system. It's something that was built to make Black people look like they're not humans or kind of dehumanize them to allow something like slavery take place. You can't imagine, like you have to completely take your emotion away from a human being for you to allow the injustice that happened to my community you just have to completely you know like mute it and if the racism is within our culture 
I don't even blame the people that are saying these racial things to me. I blame the, the society that has allowed this to happen year after year after year and allow black people to be dehumanized to a point where they're being killed on the street like nothing, like, you know, like, you know, like, like nothing at all. So it's not even about the people that, it's not the people that call me these things that I, I, I feel a pain against it's the system that allows it so mm -hmm. when the conversations have with you that the conversations are being had with the children it's unfortunately if it was discrimination from a group of people that would be like that's bullying some people can be mean but when it's coming from an entire society and this is a norm and had been a norm for such a long time it's essential that you have these conversations with your children. There's no, I can't even imagine not having them. That's just what makes us so different, I guess, but yet so the same, you know? Yeah, it's just about preparing your child. And I suppose from my perspective, I'd be preparing my child to not be racist yeah. or to not make quick judgments on people based on the color of their skin or where they're from or their religion, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And just on that whole point, there has been so much going on in the world over the last year or so that has really intensified the longing of people of colour wanting their voices to be heard. Yet it's also highlighted the ignorance that we as humanity have given to something that in this day and age, as I said at the start, it's impossible to believe that these things still happen. When all of this hashtag Blackout Tuesday, Black Lives Matter evolved into a social media stance against racism, how did that make you feel? Were you relieved, excited, frustrated? Can you talk us through like what that meant for Cassandra? How did that all make Cassandra feel? I was petrified. I'm not gonna lie. I was so scared because I I was scared for a few reasons. I was scared because I didn't know what this was gonna what the outcome was going to be. It was very much like a place of the unknown, which we've all been living through in the last couple of months, nearly a year now with the pandemic and COVID. And I can't explain how COVID is so aligned to racism. It's really weird because, no, it's so true because you can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't prove it until you have it. And people believe it, people believe it doesn't exist. And some people do, and it's just so aligned with racism. And then the whole life, <laughs> and then the whole Black Lives Matter thing happened right in the middle of it. And then some people were like, "Why are you going out and walking out there? You're almost putting other people at risk for this thing that you're fighting for." And I was like, "But some of those people don't even believe it's real." And I'm, I, I don't, I at that point, I was very careful about the people I lived with, and I took all the measures needed in order to protest safely. But mm. at the same time, I just couldn't, I couldn't get over the fact of how the two were so aligned because it's let's be real, some people still believe that COVID is not real, and mm. also scared me because I was getting a bunch of text messages and messages from my friends, and I'm. One of those people, I'm like, I grew up here for so long that I think that I'm, I never noticed that I was one of the, I was a the black friend to a lot of people. <laughs> and it's almost like, I don't, which I don't mind of. It's not something that bothers me. But then out of concern for me, I got a lot of messages asking me if I was okay. And I really appreciated those messages. But you know, when you get a message and, and you're not okay and someone asks you, okay, you're like, oh my God, I'm not okay. And you get really upset. 
and then you're getting these all day and you're like you're reminding me that I'm not okay it's not even about the other person at this point it's more about me and how I felt yeah but overall I think that the blackout Tuesdays I thought they were great but also horrible because some people were putting them out for the sake of putting it out and not actually standing against what racism really is. And there's a difference between standing Mm. against racism and actually being an ally. An ally for me is more about Mm. the action. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to educate yourself? Are you going to talk to your children? Like you mentioned, like this is something that you have to educate your children about. Like those are the type of things that I would expect an ally to do rather than like if you post hashtag Blackout Tuesday, like that's it. And we've you've said that you're not racist and then we're moving on with your life of seeing a black person being mistreated in front of you and saying absolutely nothing about it, you know. But um, yeah, so it was definitely a very difficult time, but I'm glad that it happened. I'm glad that the conversation sparked conversations. I'm glad that people started talking about it more. I'm really happy that mm-hmm. it was a very difficult to- topic to talk about, but I'm glad that people eventually got to talk about it and people got to express themselves and I got to express myself a lot. And I think that even conversations like this that are still happening because of that is the benefits of what happened back then. I don't think those conversations would have really happened if that didn't happen and it would have been worse because I think that mm-hmm. the healing really happens when these conversations are being talked about and not such a stigma you know then you definitely do think that the attention that was given to black lives matter hashtag blm over the course of 2020 made a real difference or do you think it made a difference and excuse me if i offend in any way but do you think it just made a difference for people of color or do you think people who are white and did do the hashtag blackout tuesday do you think it made a real difference for them too just rephrase like that question for me for a second so i understand it properly for me and i can only speak for myself but for the people of color it didn't make such a big difference it was just the world realized or the world was awakened to the the shock and horror of George Floyd's killing so openly and in the mm-hmm. in bright daylight to just be brutally killed like that i think at that point people didn't just see a black man they saw a man a grown man calling out for his mother and just being killed in public like that it was like mm-hmm. an awakening to how bad things truly are and I don't think it made, I think, it, I don't think it's like, oh, this huge event happened and now black people are in a better place. No, no, no it, it, that's not the case at all. It was an opening to conversations to be had and to keep, to continue to have these conversations. I think it was a moment of an opening and a moment of awakeness and awareness to what is really going on. That's what I would identify is for me and then for the people who I think it was it had more of an I don't know I'm not white but I think it had a huge Mm -hmm. impact as well for black people we're tired of it we're sick of it and we just want it to stop and we want to be treated like human beings and that was our stance towards the movement for white people I think that it maybe for a lot of white people it was like I can't believe this is happening this is so horrible we have to do something about it 
let's start changing things. Let's start, mm. um, let's start evolving as a society and not let these things happen where in our children's generation, things are still like this. I think it's, 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 it's a movement and it doesn't just stop. Or it's not just fixed. It never will be fixed. I think it's a lot of healing has to be done before it's fixed. And in the US, a lot of healing has to happen and a lot of acknowledgement has to happen too. Because in the US, which I would compare, if I compare it like, for example, in Germany, when when everything happened with Adolf Hitler and how the country adapted to that afterwards was the fact that they acknowledged the wrong, they acknowledged the wrongdoing and they've put in so many rules and implications towards Jewish people in the country that makes them feel safe. And the acknowledgement part is really important for healing to happen. In the US, there's been no acknowledgement. Mm. There has been, but not really. It's more of a cover-up. And it's still happening right now. Systematic racism is still happening over there. And I think in other, in other European countries, there's a stigma where it's not as bad as the US. There's no racism here. And I can't tell you how many people I heard that from, especially Irish people saying that there's no racism in Ireland. There's racism everywhere. You know, it might not be just as, it mm -hmm. might not be as bad as the US, but you cannot tell me that there is no racism in Ireland. There definitely, it definitely is racism in Ireland. I'm sorry if I even get hate for that or people are mad at me for saying it, but if you're not experiencing it, you can't really speak on it. Yeah, no, you're dead right. And actually you answered that question very well. It really was like an awakening and awareness, especially for me to what's going on in the world. I, even through my later years, I'm 28 this year and I'm kind of thinking to myself, how did I not realize that this stuff was going on in the world? And it was just an ignorance to, to the news and just not wanting to listen to the news, but not out of, like, it was more just, I'm not interested in the news, but I'd never... I'd never be racist towards somebody or I'd never put somebody down for where they're from or the color of their skin. And then to see that all of this is actually happening in the world really hit me. Yeah. I just lived in this bubble and then trying to step back from that and look at the likes of my friends who are like, I have South African Indian friends. I have black friends. I have people from all over the world. And to just know that that's the kind of treatment that they're receiving, it really did upset me and awaken me. The next kind of question then I want to ask you is, do you find that it was more of a trend that people had set with the hashtag Blackout Tuesday or Black Lives Matter? And if so, is there a way that we can combat the trend setting? and turn it into a real revival? I don't think it was just a, a, a trend. I think some people really meant it and really, you know, it meant something to some people. And some people just did it because it was something cool to do at the time. And But mm -hmm. I, I think it was very real for a lot of people. I think it was a lot of real emotions, a real want, wanting for change, a real pure like feeling of humanity where you just can completely relate, even though you're not a person of color, to the pain and the anguish that the community was feeling and is feeling and was and mm -hmm. will con hopefully not continue to feel, but are still continuing to feel in this pro present moment. And I do think 2020 has been the year of change. 
It's been a, the year of, I feel like we were all grounded, first of all, because we've all been very bad to the environment for a few years now. And we just had a, a huge shock. And what we can do moving forward, I think, is being more intentional with what we choose to do regarding the Black Lives Matter movement. I think having conversations like this is great. I think having more conversations with kids, I, I just think that the children are our future and having these conversations yep. in schools, having a diversity and inclusion workshops for teachers, for them to be able to, you know, not have a bias against students in their class, having courses like managing bias for students and for teachers and just really integrating that into the community, especially at a young age and enforcing it, not only with the young people, but with the police, with every single type of department that is funded by the government to just really put the work in there for it to be a more inclusive environment for everybody. I think that's where it moves from being a trend to more of an action. You know, we can we can definitely get there. I think it's a it's baby steps, obviously, but I think having the intention to do different is different from actually doing something different. Ooh, can you say that <laughs> I think again? <laughs> having the intention to do something different is different from actually doing something different. Like you, you know, people always say, "I didn't intend to hurt you." Of course, you didn't, but it did hurt. Now, what are you going to do about it? It's a mm -hmm. case of, are you going to acknowledge that you hurt me? Or are you going to pretend like you didn't hurt me and then we move on from that? And what happens then is that the lack of acknowledgement makes the other person feel like you don't really mean you're, you're sorry or you don't actually acknowledge that what you said hurt them. So there's always going to be a, a slight divide or conflict. And it's the same thing with everything that's going on. It's like acknowledgement and then action is what is needed, you know. Yeah. And Cass, you mentioned earlier on, so one of the questions I had for you was about an ally. And you mentioned earlier that it's more about the action. And is that person going to educate themselves? Is there anything that you can suggest that any steps that people can take to start educating themselves? Um, I think the first thing is obviously to educate yourself and your biases. And we all have them. I have biases myself. Like, I'm not trying to say like black people are, don't have biases. We all, every human being has a bias and it's checking yourself on those biases and on learning things that you might have learned along the way. And not every black man is scary, you know, like <laughs> just catching yourself, thinking a biased thought and then pulling yourself back from it and being like, no, and re rewiring your brain from the systematic ways that the society has tried to teach you about people of color or people from a different culture and not even just people of color, uh, color people from different parts of the world. So I think for me, allyship is commitment to change. Allyship is educating yourself, whether it's watching a TV show, reading a book, listening to an audio. There's so many ways to educate yourself that you don't really have an excuse anymore, to be honest. It's like if you don't want to read, you can literally get an audio mm. or listen to a podcast or listen to music. There's so much music that tells such beautiful stories. Another thing is I say this to I don't know if I might have actually said it to you as well before, but I genuinely say this to every single white friend of mine that I have is that 
I love being a friend and I love being there for you. But what differentiates us from a friend that's like a high or a high is, a, is that if me and you go out and someone says a racial remark to me and you say nothing at all, that saying nothing at all is action in itself. You don't need to say anything to me again. You know, you don't need to yes. say, I'm sorry, I didn't say anything. You don't have to, you, you, I'll, I'll accept the po- apology, but the fact that you said nothing mm-hmm. is something too. It's an answer for me as well. And I'm not saying that I need the person or people to get mad and shout. I don't, I'm, I'm so against violence. If anyone that knows me, I'm like, I wouldn't hurt a fly. I'm, I just don't, I, like, I'm not, I'm yeah. so against violence and anything like that. But acknowledgement of, are you okay? Sorry, don't say that to my friend. That's really rude. Or, you know, taking me out of the situation or taking us out of the situation and just doing something about it really shows more about allyship than anything else. But yeah. So Cass, I know that you are a very passionate person about so many things. And I know that one of those passions is God and your spirituality. If I'm not asking too much of you, can you tell me if you've ever felt misplaced or mistreated or unrepresented within a church environment, considering we're talking about all of this yeah I love that I actually love that question and it's a case of another it it was like an awakening that I personally had where I think the more I have grown in my spirituality the more I've learned about myself and the person that I am and I from from that from knowing that I now actually like to describe myself as an omniest in that I believe in all religions and I believe in God and there's no one or other particular religion that is holier than the other I have respect for all religions and I Mm. I pray to God himself and with that being said my perception of a place of worship is a place where everyone is accepted and as a Christian yourself you're a person a spiritual person or a whatever you identify as is when you go to a place where you can go Mm -hmm. inside yourself and just communicate with your inner self and talk to God and really pray the last thing you expect is for somebody in your congregation or around you to have a biased view against you because it's completely against what the scriptures say you know And (laughs) I think for me, it was nothing personal to me, but more of the stories that I heard from people of color about uh, certain congregations and certain situations, or also feeling unacknowledged by certain people in the church. And not that you need to obviously talk to everybody or say hello to everybody or, you know, be greeted by everybody but Mm. if you've been going to a a church for like I don't know a particular church for about six or seven months or a year and some of the people in leadership never even greet you 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 start asking yourself like is it me did I do something or that person just always really busy but then you see them saying hi to everyone else and you think maybe it is me or maybe there is something deeper than what is put up Mm. at the forefront but Another thing that I've learned through that is I was quite taken back by the fact that you will find the worst people in church. History says it itself. And this is a very sensitive topic. And I know it is. But I think that I had a perception that the the church is the holiest place and evil can't can't be in the midst of it. You know what I mean? And I I, I think 
it was an awakening to me to realize that that's not true, that there's bad people everywhere in life and there's not even a place of worship that you can get away from it. And that was something that I learned personally. And now um, I haven't been mistreated, but I did feel out of place. And I always think about within the church and within a congregation, diversity is really important. I think it's really important to have a diverse panel of people doing all types of things. And if someone of, it doesn't even need to be someone of color, but I, because I'm a person of color, that's what I identify as is that you'll see a lot of churches in, in Ireland. It's a congregation of all black people, a congregation of all white people. And it's very few churches where there's a mix of two. And I think it's based on the, the difference in how we worship, but we're all worshiping and praying together. And I don't, I, I don't know why there's a divide per se. And there's only a few churches where I've seen intentional diversity, which, I mean, which means that like the congregation and the leaders are mixed of, there, there's a diversity in both. And I think if you want a diverse congregation, you need to have a diverse bunch of leaders as well, because people need to identify themselves in an experience. And, you know, it's, I think it's even the way we're wired. But like if I, I can't relate, I can relate to another woman, but I can't relate to a white woman the way I would relate to a black woman. And I think it's the same for you, where you can relate to me, but you can't mm -hmm. relate to me because I'm a black woman. But we can relate to the fact that we're both women. And I think that the more you want a congregation to be closer and to unite, there really does need to be diversity at both ends. And when you see the lack of diversity, mm -hmm. that's something that's just it's a question of why is it a lack of people that are interested in being part of it or have you guys ever asked other people to be involved in certain things apart from you know the obvious things that you need people to volunteer for you know what i mean i mean it's it's another it's another really sad really really sad situation but i think with with experience you kind of learn to discern situations for what they really are and not take things very personally and you you just move on with life really i suppose the reason that i wanted to ask you that is because from my opinion a place of spirituality should yeah. be non-judgmental no judgment whatsoever anybody should be able to walk through those doors and freely worship the gods that mm. they're going there to worship and i suppose i just wanted to highlight that as well because that's another thing that i want to look at is how the churches can improve so that'll be down the line in the podcast and getting to talk to people about how the churches can improve within diversity you said intentional diversity cassandra and i just know that intentional that word seems to bother some christians but do you think it's better that people are intentional in wanting intentional diversity do you think it's what better do you mean intentional by intentional that? i mean if you i I, no, I don't mean by like going out there just to tick the box of that there's a black person in your in your leadership or like that's not oh, okay. that's definitely not what I meant I don't I don't think it would be right for people to I get this a lot as well in workplaces where they don't have a diverse team so they have like a, a place where they just want to hire 
diversity for the sake of ticking the box on the diversity list. But I think intentional when I said it then was that with good intent within a spiritual place to have the good intention to have a diverse congregation. I need to be very careful how I word this in the sense of you're not ticking the box, but you're 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 being intentional in being mm-hmm. inclusive and you're being intentional in in not having a stereotype towards certain people and you're being intentional to the fact that a church is an open place for all types of people and all types of ways of worship mm. and all types of yeah all types of ways of worship and all types of people and I'll give you an example when you go to you can go to different types of churches and some churches are really reserved you know there you pray quietly and then in African churches you'll see people some African churches or African-American churches, you'll see people shouting and screaming and dancing. And there's a huge difference there, mm-hmm. right? But being intentional in, the, in, in what I meant in the diversity of things is that being intentional and accepting that and not pushing it away because it doesn't align with how you were taught how to worship. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it definitely does. Yeah, no, I just wanted to clear that up that anybody listening is not thinking no, that they no just need to go box. out and take a box. <laughs> Cassandra, like all of this, like it must affect you mentally. There has to be some sort of impact on your mental health with all of this conversation that's happening. Can you talk to us about that? Like, can you tell us a little bit about your mental health journey and about yeah, your mission? Yeah, I mean... It's been a difficult, last year was a difficult year. I keep feeling that we're still in 2020. I don't know about you. I'm like, this is (laughs) 2020.2. I have had a journey with my mental health. And that's another conversation I really like talking about is because a lot of people don't really talk about it. I suffered from a lot of anxiety at a certain point and I lost a lot of weight. I think I lost like about eight or eight or nine kg I was very skinny and I just had no motivation I had no I felt like I had nothing to live for I just felt like I was in the cycle of mm-hmm. going to work hanging out with my friends going out and nothing was meaningful and it just kind of creeped in really really slowly it wasn't even something that I just woke up one day and felt really shitty it was like, I don't know from at what point did I not feel shitty anymore? You know what I mean? And at the time I was like, I think I was like, this is like five years ago. I'd gone through a really bad relationship and all the growth things that happen in, in a young adult's life. But I just seemed to take it. I, I seem to have taken it really hard this time. And I remember talking to my mom and I, I'm just so blessed and lucky to the fact that I have, you know, someone to talk to and some friends to lean on. And I went through therapy and I feel a lot better. And I have my therapist on speed dial. Like we WhatsApp each other and like, I need to talk. Like still today, actually today, I text her saying, can we have a session for next Tuesday? Because I think that mental health is so important to the fact that it should be your number one priority because if you're not okay mentally, everything else does kind of fall apart eventually, whether you like it or not. And your brain is your engine. Hmm. It keeps you moving. It keeps you going. It keeps you motivated. And if it's, if your engine is not working, you're not moving that car. It's it's stuck. You're you're literally it's not going anywhere. And with that, when I was in that space, I felt like you know what, this is not this is such a, a, a conversation and it's such a stigma that when people talk about mental health, they think that you're crazy or there's something wrong with you or 
it's not a good thing. But a lot of people suffer from mental health silently. And I didn't want that to be the case anymore, especially people my age. Mm -hmm. So when I was going through my the period of, you know, feeling really low, I gave myself a, a challenge. And I said to myself, if if I even said if it wasn't even when because this is how shitty I was feeling at the time but I said if I get better and if I feel better one day I'm gonna create a space that is catering to people who feel and are struggling with their mental health for them to speak about it for them to open up about it and for it to not be such a stigma and to find like-minded people who also suffer from the same thing and that's how uni noir was born which is my business it's my baby and uni noir basically stands for it's a quote that i love and it means darkness is not an entity simply the absence of light and noir means black and French. And a lot of people thought I called it noir because I was black, which is really funny, but it was because it's like a united united black, which is kind of like people who've had that dark place in their life all unite together to talk about the life that they've now come mm. to. And within that, I host like motivational workshops, which you got to attend one time when I was really grateful that you got you got to go. And it was so good. <laughs> I do coaching classes. I have therapists that work not for me, but like I assign them clients that come to me that go through our, our channel. And then no, the purpose no. of Uni Noir is really, and I really want to focus on the children and the young adults. And it's, it's for all ages, really. But being a young adult, it's my age group that I'm really targeting. It's really important for me that mental health becomes a dinner table conversation and something that you're not judged for. And it's so easy to cover it up because I remember when I felt like that, no one even knew that I felt like that. It, no, everyone thought I was fine because I'm always that person that's okay, super smiley, super happy. No one knows that I'm really suffering inside. I don't want I don't want anyone to ever feel the way I felt. And it's it's such a strong passion that burns within me that I just want a better environment and a better place to live. I want society to be not to society to be open and welcoming to people that are suffering and people that are going through such hard times and not just to turn their backs on them and at the moment Uninuar is not but I want it to be a non-profit I'm coaching at the moment and I, it's free of charge I'm not charging anyone during COVID I don't think it's fair uh, at the when I first started the motivational workshops obviously were a you pay that you pay to go into them, but the the profit was then used for resources for within the the workshop itself, and that's when I'm start. That's my starting off phase. But the more mm -hmm. I think about it, no one should have to pay for this. No one should have to pay for a therapist. No one should have to pay to talk about their mental health. And it's just it's sad that some people's mm. lives have been taken away purely on based on the fact that they had no one to speak to and it breaks my heart absolutely breaks my heart and coming from Limerick as well which has the highest suicide rates in Ireland it gives me shivers to think that so many young people have taken their lives and I just wish that there was something that they or some place that they can go and feel safe that's like my dream to have like little hubs of uni noir everywhere where you could just walk in at any time when you want to talk to someone and someone will be there. Yeah, it's such a beautiful 
mission that you have and I'm really looking forward to seeing you grow in that and seeing the little pop-ups of Uni Noir everywhere it's going to be amazing to kind of wrap up on mental health then because it's such an important everyday routine can you give us any tips on how we can work towards having a healthier mind yeah, within our day to day? It's been hard. Um, and, and I don't want to make it sound like it's an easy thing. It's so hard to get your mind to work with you. <laughs> like it, Your mind is your mind, but it also has a mind of its own based on what you feed it. I would start off on what mm. you feed your mind ultimately takes over your mind. So like, what are you watching? What are you listening to? Are you putting any, is anything that you're watching or listening to somehow aligned with the growth that you want to see in your life? If you want to be an entrepreneur, are you listening to podcasts that are aligned with that at least once a week, twice a week, three times a week? So you, it, it's almost like when people say you want to ha- you want to have a great body or you want to be fit, you are what you eat. And that doesn't just mean about the consumptions in your mouth. It also means what you're yeah. listening to, what you're looking at, what you're talking about, especially what you're talking about. Your tongue is so powerful. So what you say about yourself ultimately will be what you are. Anything that follows the word I am will follow you. So I like to start with affirmations. It could be one or two in the the morning. I am worthy. I am blessed. I'm going to have a good day. And even if you're not going anywhere, you're stuck at home during quarantine, there's so many ways to have a good day at home. You know, you can start painting, you can listen to a podcast, you can have a long Mm -hmm. shower or a bath, or you could just really put yourself in that mind state, state of mind. And during like the first lockdown, I realized that heaven can also be a state of mind in the sense that I have been able to really get myself out of a grumpy mood and have the best day all by myself. And that just showed me, it was like an aha moment to me that really kind of showed me that the power of my mind and the fact that I have control over it, even though most of the time it makes me feel like it's in control of me. So affirmations in the morning. Uh, I also mm-hmm. enjoy journaling. Just if I'm having a really tough day at work and like my manager really upset me or <laughs> I had a tough conversation <laughs> with somebody, I'll rip out my pen and I will write it down, everything I feel. And I felt like this. And then this person said this as if I'm literally talking to someone and you'll feel like a weight lifted it off your shoulders a little bit. Maybe not the first time, but you will see it gradually and consistently. You'll feel a lot better. I also like to meditate it could be hard it was really hard for me to settle my mind at the start when I was meditating because I would meditate and I'm like hmm I'm hungry (laughs) or oh what's on Instagram I know I only checked it like two seconds ago and it's really hard to set your mind but even if you can do three minutes a day and then add a minute as you go on and just make it a goal after 21 days of persistently doing something it turns into a habit if you continue you just need to do it for 21 days and then you might slip back into a default but then you still have a solid foundation of you did to 21 days so just keep going those are like the three things that I really like doing, but also just mm. seek help. Talk to your friends and family. I always find helping other people also helps me and just yeah. be. It's my favorite thing to say. We're human beings and we're meant to just be. Be still, live in the moment, be present. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago and it was after a long day at work and I had like six meetings that day and my head was like pounding and I had such a headache from like zoom fatigue 
And I just had like a bunch of work, uh, so much work to do. And I was thinking about a project that I did a few weeks before. And I was thinking about a project that I was doing in a few weeks. And I was comparing them and trying to figure it out. And then I heard, I think it was Adkar Tal, who's a spiritual leader, is amazing. If you haven't heard any of his podcasts, I feel like you really should. It's really good. He said, mm-hmm. and I could be quoting him wrong, but he said, the future technically doesn't exist yet because you haven't lived it. And the past doesn't exist anymore. It's part of your memory. And your memory is your perception of what happened. It doesn't mean it's actual reality. So the only reality that you have proof of is right now. And I was like, whoa. I was like, it was so comforting to me to feel like the future doesn't exist yet. So why am I worried about it? Don't know what could happen tomorrow. Don't even know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm just, I should just be grateful that I'm going to get another day to live. Uh, Even in this pandemic, I'm very happy to be living. And the past (laughs) can't be changed. We can't do anything about it. We can't go back into the past and open our memory and just step into it and change stuff. There's nothing you can do about it. So the only thing that you could really, truly be happy is to just be present. And then I thought to myself, that's probably why it's called present, because it's a gift, because it's like you're present. And and then I got into like a real deep thinking zone and before I knew it I had completely forgotten about what I was worried about and I I was like oh I feel great now it's amazing so with Uni Noir have you got any projects or anything that you can spill the beans on Um, at the moment with Uni Noir I'm really trying to get it set up as a non-profit it's my main mission at the moment and then also working in the background to really get involved with children and teaching in schools and getting funding for diversity and inclusion benefits within school programs and that's my main mission and I'm to want to start off in my hometown in Limerick and that's one of the things that I've been really working on it's really hard to get in touch with politicians these days just saying so if anyone's listening (laughs) and knows let me know so but aside from that I I'm doing little videos on like I'm going to be doing lives on the Instagram page. So if you're not following, follow Uninuar on Instagram and Facebook. I'll be posting lives, live conversation with really influential people around Ireland. And I also want to get, I also want, want to start a podcast related to Uninuar very soon, um, which is probably going to be at the end of March. I'm just working Ooh. on the graphics for, I'm such a perfectionist. It'll take me like three months just to figure out the graphics for my cover. So that's what I'm working <laughs> on. I'm taking it very easy this year because I know there's a lot going on and I need to take care of myself before taking care of others. So I've really just taken a step back a little bit. Other than that, at the moment, I'm I'm engaging in like a project called Junior Ach- Achievements in Ireland, which is inspiring young minds and doing it through work where I will eventually go into a five-week program with a school and help um, teach them about mental health. So I'm do, I am I know Uninawire is a business, but I'm also uh, I'm trying to um, build my brand, which is myself, at the same time. So it's, it's kind of tricky, but I'm getting there. Mm. <laughs> Wish me luck. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> I will. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. So... Cass, have you got anything else that you'd like to add or um, no, like to mention so or bring light to? Me and I hope that your listeners have a good one on this one. Hopefully, I was it was really nice catching up with you as well. We must 
meet up after when everything's back to well i'm not gonna stop i'm gonna stop saying when everything's back to normal when we can go outside again but yeah thank you for having me (laughs) thank you so much for coming on and guys thank you so much for listening i really hope that you got a lot from that hopefully we can get cast on again sometime in the future and we can discuss more topics that you guys want to hear about and of course make sure you go and follow cast on uni noir on instagram i'll make sure to tag the page under the podcast episode details and also on instagram thanks so much for listening guys and i'll talk to you in the next episode